Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, Psalm 73. Let me give some introduction to this. I titled this, uh, Making God My Refuge When All Seems Wrong. We got that? Yep, okay. Making God My Refuge When All Seems Wrong. So I think we led into this a few weeks ago, kind of an overarching theme over all the book of the Psalms. And I don't know if you think of Psalms, a lot of people think of them as just individual songs, There actually is a theme when they're all collected together. They actually have been put together in a particular order. But here's a thread that you would see running as we we started, I think, December 26th. We did Psalm 1 and 2 as the doorway. Here's kind of an overall theme. God's king, seen in David but foreshadowing Jesus. God's king leads God's people through the valley to sing God's praise. God's king leads God's people through the valley to sing God's praise. I I, I will add, the way he leads us through the valley is by his promises, his faithfulness. And you'll see that throughout the Psalms where they're calling out the acts of God in the past. You'll see it in many of them. But you'll also see the theme of, of going through valleys very often, particularly the first third of the Psalms, and it crescendos to high praise in the end. But in a particular Psalm, you'll often find a turning point, as we will today. God's king leads God's people through the valley to sing God's praise. So here's what I want you to think about for a moment. We all have valleys, right? The older you get, the more you tend to go through. We all have different kind of valleys. The point is not to compare our valleys one to another, but we all have them. Uh, We've been praying uh, for weeks, for months, uh, for years actually, for Nick and Suyak. And since Nick is now home with the Lord, but he's struggled, I think, four years it was with pancreatic cancer. Uh, Mike talks about it very optimistically, but his mom is, he's spending the nights at his mom's house struggling with cancer. It's been four years. Um, She's probably in the last lap. Don't know how long that lap is because that lap has been long probably is living with all that hope in God. Um, If you read the post-it notes, I know a lot of you have done that in the mornings or after the service or before the service. You see the things that are written there? There's some things that are valleys that are written up there. Things that we're praying for for various people. We all have particular valleys. And the point isn't to compare one with another for For the five-year-old, his valley's real, right? The 16-year-old, it's real. For an 80-year-old, it's real. Whatever it is, they're they're real valleys. So I don't know what yours is. Um, Valleys tend to have something in them that are uncertain. Great uncertainties. So the question probably that's bigger than that is, what do you do? Where do you turn? So here in Psalm 73, this is what I would say is the aim. Sometimes we call this the transformational intent of this psalm. Here's where Asaph, the writer, is taking us. It is to take refuge in God. That's what he wants. Take refuge in God. The way he says it, 
is I made the Lord my refuge, which is slightly different. It's some way of turning to God while struggling. So what we're going to do as we walk through this kind of journey with Asaph, how did he get there? We'll see the valley. How did he make God his refuge? How, how did that happen? Um, so here's a little clue just before we read it. Oftentimes we've gotten uh, one of our habits in reading is looking at the beginning and at the end. Look at beginning. So that's a lousy way to read a novel because it destroys all the surprises, you know, but you see where it's going. So in terms of reading scripture, I would say it's helpful. It may take away the surprise, but at least you, here's where it's going. And, and for me, sometimes when I'm reading scripture, if I don't see where it's going, I get down here, I can kind of get, get lost. So I go back, look at the beginning and the end. And here's what we're going to see in the beginning and end of the psalm. Something about God's goodness. We're actually going to see him make a very strong statement about God is good. We'll see that statement doubted along the way. And then we'll sing end up with something that is good related to God. And that's the key. Certainly the Lord is good, but he doubts it along the way. What happens here? What does he say here? Well, I'm going I'm to tell you. I'm not going to make it a surprise. Let's see where the journey goes. What is good? It's good to be near God. It's good to make God my refuge. That's where he lands. And so what we'll see in this is the goodness of God going through valleys. But there's a certain way we get to respond or not. And this is the call to us. So let's give our attention. Lou and Carol, if you'd come and read, and if we'd have our Bibles open to Psalm 73. We're going to listen to this as the word of God. Yeah, wherever you want to stand is fine. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek, and they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice loftily. They threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches, all in vain. I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream that one awakes. Oh, Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them in phantoms. 
When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Fathers, we've heard this word read. Would it be that you would make it true within our lives? A true encounter of you? A God who loves us. We know that on one hand, but some of us here, uh, there's times in our lives, maybe even right now, where we've wondered if it's true. I pray that this day your Holy Spirit would speak deeply in our hearts and it would continue on beyond this day and you would show us how to make you our refuge, Lord. And this would be truly the goodness that we need and that we know. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. So I just kind of watched. A lot of you did have this open. Keep it open. I, I don't think everybody has it. I am going to read it in sections along the way. Um, so <clears throat> let me just be honest. So reading it in sections is helpful because you focus on a particular verse, but you miss it in the whole flow. That's also why I like you to have it open. Um, I'll say this. We do have Bibles in certain places out here. And in case you ever want, I'm going to give you permission. Uh, Mike taught me this. You can take one of these. You can take it home. You can write it in also. So if you have a pen, for me, it's one of the things we do in the, the 21 days. Circling words is just helpful. I'm, I'm visual and it helps me to see. And again, what we want, we want the word to come into us. So I just want to give you freedom that way as, as your Bibles are open. But I'm going to take it phrase by phrase a little bit. Uh, look at verse one. He starts out and says, truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. It, it's quite a statement when you think of it. Truly, God is good. Amen? Amen. To whom? To Israel and to those who are pure in heart. So to Israel, as he says, it's, it's to God's people and to the pure in heart. Don't you wonder when you read the whole psalm, if Asaph isn't thinking, yeah, the pure in heart, that's, that's not me some days. It's not me some days. Hey, Thad, here, hey, let's do it like this, because everybody did that. Why don't you leave the scripture up there until I go to the next one? Okay? Awesome. Thank you. <clears throat> so he's got this truly God is good. But notice how quickly it turns. I mean, it's right in the very next verse. Verse 2. Truly God's good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, verse 2, my foot had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Wait a minute. We just go, what's going on? Strong statement to begin with. And we're already at the second verse. And something's happened. God's good. He's been good to Israel. 
And God's good to those who want him. But as for me, it's like the writer Asaph is saying, I know God is good and I see his goodness to others. But honestly, I don't see it in my life. I'm slipping. I'm almost stumbling. There's, a, there's an incongruence going on for him. I know God is good. I can say it. I can even sing it. But I don't get to experience it. Others may. Now verse 3 gives us a window into the direction. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So here we get deeper into what is, is truly troubling Asaph. He says, I know God is good. I know that God is good to those who want him. But when I look at the prosperity of those who reject God, I was, see the words, I was envious. Do you remember Psalm 1? It was a few weeks ago. Psalm 1 is one that gets quoted all the time. It's like he's looking back at Psalm 1. This doorway to the psalm that said, so I read that one, I said that one, I got that one memorized. I don't know if it's true. Asaph's going like, I thought you said in Psalm 1 that the wicked are like chaff. The wicked are like the tumbleweed blown by the wind. And it's the person who delights in you that, that will prosper. But all I see, it's the godless people that are prospering. And it's your people that are struggling. I know you're good, but it doesn't seem, this does not seem right to me. I see an incongruence. That's his charge. And it's not just what he's saying he's seen. He's saying inside in his heart, it's affecting him. I was, Lord, I'm, I'm even envious of them. I look at it, it seems like things go right for them. Why do things not go right for me? I, I read what it said. I'm not perfect, okay? But I try to delight in your law. I'm, I reject the counsel of the wicked. But this is how it goes with me. Things go wrong. It goes right with them. Been there? A lot of us have. Okay. <clears throat> That's how this thing is set out, the first three verses. It's strong. Strong statement. Here's my problem. And he, he actually gets inside his heart. And I'm going to read verses 4 to 15. Thad, we got all these, right? 4 to 15 in a lump. I didn't hear you. I didn't put it in there. Okay. Usually it's my fault when something doesn't go right. At least it, at least it isn't my house. I know. <laughs> Everywhere else. Okay, so I'm going to read 4 to 15. <clears throat> what I want you to say, so watch the downward progression. You can, so if you've got your Bibles, or you can just hear how this downward progression goes, and then I'm going to stop. All right. <clears throat> so he's talking about, I was envious of the wicked. I see their prosperity. Here's what he says. For the, uh, and I'll pause in the reading to make some comment because some of the words, uh, it's poetry, it's older language. Some of it didn't fit with us. But he says, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Pause. So in, we go fat and sleek, like what's that? Okay, in, in older times, this is Mideast, to, the guys who were fat were wealthy. They had food. That's good. That's prosperity. That's what he's saying, okay? We think of, other things our doctors tell us we need to do different. But <clears throat> so when he talks about all that, he said, this is someone, they have no worries, basically. So they don't have to worry about food, nothing. Everything goes good. Uh, they're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. 
Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. That is, they actually speak against you, God. Therefore, as people turn back to them and find no fault to them, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? It's almost as if they are a taunting God or taunting God's people because they know they're living apart from him and they're doing fine. Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence for all day long. I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Morning. If I'd said, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I'm going to pause right there. See the downward spiral. In verse 13, he says this, all in vain, I've kept my heart clean. Basically saying, is it worth it? I try to follow you, God, and my life is no better. In fact, it seems like those who reject you, they have better lives. They have wealth. The phrase is, they're always at ease. They increase in riches. God, why, why do I tithe? Why do I give money to missions, to church? I mean, it's like throwing income away, God. Those who have no regard for you, they keep that income. It grows. They can do whatever. They can go on nice vacations. They can do whatever. Why is it so hard to follow you? It's in vain. Was it worth it? That's what he's saying. I feel like I'm always struggling. I'm far from you and I don't know your goodness. Now look at verse 15 because there's a whisper of something there. It's a little pause. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What is that? Friends, I think there's a little whisper of faith. I think what he's just been out there in those verses, he's just been raw before God. He's telling him what's going on inside. He's being as honest and candid as there is, as you can be with God. But there's a whisper of faith. I think Asaph is expressing honestly how he feels his doubts. He declares the truth of God, yet it seems far from his own life. And he's been wondering if it's all worth it. Yet there's a pause. He's not yet thrown in the towel. But he says, if I would have declared this out loud to others, I would betray your children. I, I, I sense there a faith that is clinging. It's just barely hanging on. But friends, if that's you, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. It's who it's in. It's in Jesus. Did we sing, he will hold you fast? It's coming. I have it going through in my mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I've heard it today. I heard it on both campuses, actually. Um, Sometimes you're just clinging on, you don't know it, and he's holding you fast. His word says that, that he will. There's nothing that will separate you from the love of God in Christ. But sometimes you can't feel it, you don't know. You're just barely clinging on it. That's where Asaph is. It's a, it's a very real valley. And a lot of us have been there. Maybe it's been envious of others' easy life. Why does it always seem to work out for others and not me? Maybe it's something else. But what you've been taught, what you know about God's goodness just does not seem like you're experiencing it right now. 
So watch how this psalm turns. This has ministered to me greatly. <clears throat> so we got to the statement. We got to this little whisper of faith. And now there's a huge turning point in the psalm. It's actually the point where I had Lou and Carol switch the reading. And if you go back and take this at home later on, walk through this part slowly. But when I had thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He's saying, I was worn out. I was worn out trying to re reconcile the prosperity of the wicked with my life of struggle and trying to follow the Lord. It just, all the time I thought about it. I couldn't get anywhere until, that's the word I got underlined in my Bible, until I went into the sanctuary of God. What happens there? There's a meeting with God. Okay? Now Asaph does not talk about the conversation that happens here. But there's a point in all this struggle. There's something of God's presence. There's a meeting with God. Valleys, they are honest cries out to God. And I want to suggest this to you, friends, that if we let them, they will take us to an encounter with God if we will follow them through. You do not have to perform for him. You're not his pet dog. You're his child. And what Jesus calls to us is to come. It's to come. You remember his words in Matthew 11. He says, I don't have it up here. But he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Asaph says, when I had seemed to me, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of the Lord. It's there in that place where he had an encounter with God. It's here in this meeting with God, friends, that we will find rest for our souls. So let's walk through how this goes. Marion's here, right? Where's Marion? So... Um, I re so I remember we studied, uh, when I taught this in Sawyer, we did this, the discussion class, and I thought you had an insight in that class that I added here. I thought it was really good. I, I don't know if you remember it. I, I distinctly remember it. Um, but it's in these next verses. So what you see, I'm going to read 18 through 26, and what you're going to see is the progression for him. Uh, here's the thing you said. Uh, in the... In, I think it's verses 18 to 20, what happens in this encounter with God, that's where Asaph clearly sees the truth. Um, what you'll see in the verses following that is some confession, some admission, confession to God. Then you'll see how the Lord ministers to him and then how it turns to worship. So let me go through this progression again. I'll read it. You see, it's there in that encounter with God where he sees the truth. I was envious of the wicked. Then you see some confession where he's saying, God, this is how I was treating you. Just confession. Then you see how the Lord ministers to him and it turns to worship. I think there's something about that. 
So let's read it and then we'll talk through it. Verse 18, I'll read uh, 18 to 26. So this is the truth. This is what he sees in the sanctuary. Truly, talking about the wicked, truly you set them in slippery places and you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, this is the confession, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Now the Lord's ministry to him. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory, his worship. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There it is. Okay. So you see the truth in verses uh, 18 to 20. See, I, I thought they were prospering, but there in the encounter with God, I discerned their end. I, I realized this is actually what's going to happen to them. And so all that, this, this, this incongruence, it's not true. It's how I feel, but it's not true. But it's there in the encounter with God that he sees the truth. And from that point, it turns to confession, verse 21 and 22. <laughs> My soul was embittered. I was brutish and ignorant I was like a beast towards you. Do we get that? Yeah, we got that one. Like a beast towards you. Think about that. He said, God, that's how I treated you. I was brutish towards you. I was like a beast towards you. And what did God do? Get out of here, you ungrateful. You know what I've done for you? Is that what he does? It's not what he does. So for me, when I'm reading this, there's some stunning things here. Here it's in the encounter with God and Asaph. This is his confession. God, I treated you like dirt. We know who God is. What should God do? What could he do rightfully? And what does he not do? This is his mercy that comes to us in all kinds of ways. Now, I want to suggest to you that God can handle your honesty. He knows what's in your heart already. He can handle it. He really can. The Lord loves us as our heavenly father. He stays with us. He takes our hand. Look at verse 23. I was bruised towards you. It's a confession. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. God does not say at that moment of being treating him like dirt. He does not say, get away from me. He actually says, come near. I'm right here. Who does this? When you think about the gods of the world religions, that's not them. They aren't gods. They are spirits of a different being who operate in a way to control us. Our God is unfathomable. We can't understand his ways, almighty yet merciful. How can that be? Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You you hold my right hand. The Lord loves us in our weakness, in our ugliness, and even at our worst. He does. I um during the holidays, <clears throat> I had a uh, 
One of the delights we get and one of the uh, most exhausting things we get is, is watching grandchildren. So my, my one son has three and they're all very young. And so during the holidays, Cindy and I had the distinct privilege of having them for the first time that they had been away from mom and dad for three days and two nights. I had to pause long enough. Some of you get the laughter of what that would be like. It was a blast. But it was like game on. Um, it's like you got to be, in, and Cindy's been up and down with sickness. So the day before, she'd actually been in bed all day long. I said, I'm not telling them. I'm not going to lie to them. If they ask, I'm going to tell them, but I'm not telling them. So I took some days off. I said, if, because um, we tell them they won't go away. We want them to go away. So by God's grace, Cindy was fine, but we didn't tell them. And, and so we got the kids. I'm going to like, oh, we, oh, Lord, thank you for the children's play place that we used a couple of those days coming over here and. Uh, we went to Old McDonald's a couple times. That's what Evelyn calls Golden Arches. Went to Old McDonald's. Uh, Grandpa took them there. So we just had a blast. But it's like game on. And uh, one of the things my kids love to do, the grandkids love to do, but people have been doing it for years, I think back since Mike was in high school. Um, our house in Soy, we get this ranch house, it, but so it's got this huge basement, which, you know what, basements, it's another word for bigger barns in the, in the New Testament. We just have stuff down there. So there's one room it's the playroom. It's got all these dress-up toys. So back in the day when our kids in youth group, um, the kids used to always come over. Ian remembers. They used to raid that. It was the dress-up. They'd raid it for all kinds of costumes. I mean, there's like, there's like lion outfits and princess things and uh, cowboy. There's just all kinds of stuff. They're always doing it. So my kids love playing. The grandkids love going down there. There's uh, kitchen sets and all the toys. <clears throat> so Grandpa, can, can we go in the basement? Absolutely. And they didn't move. They know what's down there. Everybody loves to go down that room. Grandpa, can we go down to the basement? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know where the light switches are? Yeah. Grandpa, will you go with me? <laughs> Grandpa, will you take my hand? Absolutely. So we go down there. There's everything. What changed? Same basement. Nothing, nothing changes when Grandpa goes down the basement or takes their, nothing changes except presence, right? That changes everything, doesn't it? And that's what he says. I was brutish towards you. God, I treated you like dirt. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. And you hold my right hand. Who does that? What kind of God does that? And treats his children like that. So notice, this is the change in Asaph. His feeling, his desperation from God, I don't know what yours is, but it's as raw and real as anyone's ever was. He says, oh, I was envious about them. I know that you're supposed to be good. I can say it out loud. I can sing it out loud. I'm not seeing it. I'm envious of the, of the wicked. He goes on and says all the things that seem to happen, but there's this whisper I can't, I can't throw in the whole towel till I met the Lord in his sanctuary. That's when I discern their end. It's in this encounter with God. Friends, our valleys are places where if we'll run to him, God's right there. He's calling us to come. He's not kicking us. He's not saying get out of here. He could. He's not. This is God's word. It's true. It's true for each of us. 
Look at verse 24, because it goes on. He's still experiencing God's ministry. You're with me. You hold my right hand. Verse 24, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. So now as he's got in this place, there's something of God's counsel. I don't know that the situation, I think the basement looked the same. I don't know the situation will change. But there's something now of God's presence that changes everything where he can hear it. He's now experiencing God's goodness and his cries out to God. And the Lord doesn't punish him for speaking such. His eyes have been opened to the truth. There's a humility in his confession before God and he's receiving the Lord's ministry of his presence, being held by his hand, receiving his counsel. And then that anticipation of being received into glory. Look at how it concludes, verses 25 and 26. All in this point, I think there's, a, there's just something as he's come to God that moves to worship. <clears throat> Whom have I in heaven but you? <laughs> there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I was envious of the wicked. No. In, in God's presence, he's, as he's encountered, there's nothing I desire on earth besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So there's no evidence in this psalm that his circumstances have changed. But when we came to encounter God, everything changed for him. And it ends with this conclusion, these last two verses. <clears throat> for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful. So he's saying, there's actually justice. That thing that was bothering him, there will be justice. But for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Where does he find goodness? It's being near to God. Coming to God when everything seems wrong. And in doing that, God has become his refuge. Let me just recall this to you. Do you remember Psalm 1 and 2? Psalm 1 blesses the man who, it talks about the one <clears throat> following God's ways. It talks, Psalm 2, <clears throat> talks about why the nations rage, all this against God. Where it ends is, blessed are those who, do you remember it? Take refuge in God. The Psalms are continuing, I think it's 46 times in the book of Psalms it talks about this. Taking refuge, finding refuge in God. And the psalmist here, Asaph, that's what is, but for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. When he experiences the Lord's ministry to him, all he wants to do is to tell others. Friends, this, is, this psalm's ministered to me deeply in a lot of different ways. So I just want to conclude with a couple of thoughts to provoke you in terms of thinking about this. What does making God my refuge, what does that look like for you this year? All that the years already, what it's been like, you look ahead, okay? What does it look like to be turning to God in my struggle and that? And there's countless ways that can be, and I don't, I don't think the goal for me is to answer that for you. But that's what the psalmist is calling us to. And I don't think the, the objective is to compare my valleys with your valleys or anyone else's. I don't think that's it. 
But we all have them, and there's something God wants to do in them. Let's, let's acknowledge that. So for me, here's something that's been helpful for me. <clears throat> um, and I don't compare my struggles to anyone else's. But for me, they're real struggles. And I lose my way sometimes. And I, I wish it weren't so. And it's crazy how often and frequently it happens. I, so here's, here's what has been intentional uh, for me, and, and I'd say even recently. I got to stop and go back and recall what he's done. I got to look back. Whether that's looking back over the week, it's as simple sometimes as looking back over the week. But it can be longer too. I think both things, for me, I should say this, both have been helpful. To look back over the course of some years or even just a week. I have to intentionally look. I have to stop. I have to take time. So I'm trying to be more disciplined in that and just writing those things down. I don't know. My mind runs fast. I don't know about you. My mind, it's just going. And here's what happens when I slow and write down. This is, to me, this is the benefit of journaling. It slows my mind down. Because you, you can only write one sentence at a time. I feel like I can think 10 thoughts at a time. But I can write one. It just slows it down for me. It's also a good way to call it out in prayer. So I, I think I've said this to you, that Cindy and I have tried to develop this as a habit just in given weeks. I mean, right, right now, there's a lot of things in life that just feel like, man, I'm done with this. Um, <clears throat> so when I have friends that they get away for a, a week or a month to someplace warm, I'm happy. I want them to. I experience vicarious joy through it if I can't go. I'd be like, yes, go do that. Uh, but I, so when I, when I can't do it, I'm right here. Sometimes it just feels long. And right now my wife's going through this second bout, you know, and she's just been struggling. I'm like, I, a couple of people were just before service, we're talking about how things are going. I'm like, you know me, patience is not my strong suit. It just, so I'm just like, this is not a heavy deal, but like, I just, I want her to be well so we can, just walk together. So what do we do in the meantime? It's been a discipline we're trying to incorporate. Like every week, I want to go back and look back over the week. Hey, what can we thank God for? Man, they're just simple things. It's so weird. What can we thank God for? As we start, I don't know what, it's, it's stopping and doing it. And when we start doing it, there's this thing and there's that thing, and there's this thing. And if you, I'm serious. I don't think we've ever done it without getting to 12 things, at least. I'm not trying to count. I'm just going like, it's not a short list. It's a, it's a long list. But if I don't stop, you know what happens? I look ahead, and it's like this giant cloud out there, a giant obstacle, something. Just feels like I can't ever. It's amazing. I just stop it in recounting. Can I just recount it? But friends, that's the part that's the discipline. Is, is that coming in, into the sanctuary of the Lord? I don't know. But maybe in some way it is. It's perspective about God. I get lost easily. I don't know about you. I just, I just can. And so in some small way, that's one way. I'll say it this way. I don't know if that's coming in the Lord's sanctuary. It might be, but I'll say this. It is one way to take refuge in him. For me. Just stopping. Now, this stuff out here, I find this stuff out here, it's still there. But in doing this, you know what happens? I can talk to him about that and it just does not seem as daunting because I think there's something of his presence that takes place in that conversation. So let me go back this way. 
I have so appreciated this psalm. <clears throat> the rawness may be a different rawness that you feel, but it, it's just so candid out there. And the fact that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. That, you, you quoted Psalm 103 today. It's right in there. He, he just doesn't. He's a God of mercy. He knows what's going on. And he calls us to come to him. It's not kicking us out. And that's what I want for all of us to come to him. We all got different kind of valleys. But for all of us to know this, for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this I pray for each of us, myself at the front of the line. Who can explain you? Let us take this word. It's from you. It's, it's from you this particular day. We didn't walk in here necessarily knowing this would be your word to us today. But it is. So Lord, I pray for each of us, those listening online, those here, Lord, that we would receive it as you intend and that you would do the good work that you intend for our good, for your glory. Lord, so that it would be true in us and all of our struggles in the encounter with you, we would want to then speak of you to others. You're not a Bible verse. You're real, and you love us. Thank you for speaking this morning. Thank you for loving us so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.